You're listening to The Tech Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next hour we're going to be talking about all things tech. I'm joined by my fellow presenter, Paul Armstrong, who's author of Disruptive Technologies. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? Good, good. Complaining about your coffee this morning. Yeah, it's, well, I just think everyone should have an espresso machine in this day and age. Do you? Yeah. We haven't got one in the office here, so sorry about that. That's the issue. (laughs) You could always buy one for us, Paul. That is definitely an option, yes. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Now, we're joined by um, two great uh, guests, as usual. Um, we've got James Dearsley from Tech London Advocates PropTech. Hi, James. Hi, Sue. You're going to teach me all about PropTech because I don't really know anything about it. So I'm gonna, <laughs> That's about the problem. Yeah, Not many people do. Well, there you go. So your job today in half an hour is to give us a masterclass on PropTech and why it's important and you know why should we should be looking out for it. Challenge investing in it uh-huh. even more so and i'm also joined by john scott um and he has a little company called tlc thinking loud and clear i've got that right haven't i yes hi sue hi and you're going to tell me about being a good corporate citizen and and the fact that people who run these companies should be well they should be putting more in absolutely yeah good 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 right first um james now you you are you're, you're part of tech london advocates as i am you very involved with the prop tech group which is property tech and that's a sort of abbreviated term isn't it for like real estate technology or property technology um but can you tell me exactly what prop tech is yeah sure i mean it, i think it's a bit difficult because i mean everyone needs a marketing term and a branding term that they can sort yep. of assign um a community to and i think really that's pretty much what it is. Um, prop tech or property technology, it's difficult to define. Um, we had a good stab of it last year, myself and uh, Professor Andrew Baum from uh, Oxford University, because globally there was this big wave of enthusiasm around this uh, use of technology in the in the property sector. And the real question was whether prop tech was actually something, or was it just a marketing mm. term that was grouping this, ter- this uh, community together? And so we did. We, well, I was actually, I brought it up on my on my phone here just because it's so long I can't quite remember it all in one go. So I'll, I'll read it out to you sort of verbatim. So uh, we actually said that PropTech is one small part of the wider digital transformation of the property industry. So the point here was it's not about, um, you know, this, this marketing branding term. It's more about digital transformation, which other industries have been through or are in the middle of going through. It just so happens that the property industry is so far behind that it's now starting this journey. Of, uh, of digital transformation um, and it describes a movement driving a mentality change with the real estate industry and its consumers regarding technology driven adoption in the data assembly transaction and design of buildings and cities so what you're saying then in english is um <laughs> Go on. is is it's about buying and selling property no it's it. more it's more than that i mean it's uh, and it, i was just yeah, gonna say sorry. and <laughs> um and and also it's about building you know refurbishing it's about anything to do with property um, and all of the stuff underpinning that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the property market is the second largest asset class in the entire world. It spans everything mm. from residential property, commercial property, construction, retail, industrial. You know, it's vast. And this is probably one of the most exciting periods it's going to go through because you know, fundamentally it impacts every single one of us every single day of our lives. Um, it's pretty broken, isn't it, as yeah. well? I think that's the biggest thing about property is it's so broken, you know, not just from an economical perspective of housing being expensive and that sort of stuff but there's a lot of stuff about houses that suck you know trying to get a mortgage all about this morning well that's what you pay me for so. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, oh, yeah. Paul, I, don't, I don't know if you're necessarily right but i would suggest that 
Um, globally, there is an argument for that. I mean, mm -hmm. the term broken is quite a quite a, um, a powerful term. I would suggest that there are certainly markets which need a lot of help. And I think this is the important thing about this term prop tech, which is it's a global problem. Um, and I think really the, the important aspect of that definition here is it's not actually about the tech. This is about a mentality shift in the general population because you know we're 11 years in now to having technology. We're 11 years into using iPhones and smart devices and all this sort of stuff. So actually the, the general population as consumers of the property market are now so fundamentally used to using technology that they have an expectation level which the property market can't fulfill. Mm. Um, and equally, us as employees... Um, of companies, we also have a similar expectation of how we integrate and uh, interact with technology as um, within our sort of company lives as well. So, so are you talking? So, are you area. talking about buildings as as places we live, or are you talking about some of the stuff that's in there? You know, which Both, is, everything. Okay, Paul. Quite a lot of um, investments gone into prop tech in in the US, hasn't it? Yeah, it was about seven billion. Um, so far in dollars and i think about 70 percent of that was in the last two years and they're saying another three billion um it's on a forbes piece i wrote sorry about another three billion will be done by the end of uh this year and what, what are so people it's a huge jump yeah huge so what jump. are people actually investing in what's, so what's, what's getting them excited it's that D word again, isn't it? The disruptive potential for a lot of these sort of startups. So you've got things that um, are to do with energy, um, but to do with buildings and that sort of stuff. You've got things to do with disrupting the rental market. So things where deposits are uh, placed into, you know, essentially escrow and that sort of stuff. And all of these are like pain points for consumers, but also, you know, larger entities around um, that and that sort of thing. So what they're looking at is is the traditional processes that you would go through, either owning you know buying or, or or you know having some sort of interaction along the property lines and actually looking at every single one of those processes and and, and trying to make them more efficient more effective yes yeah, through technology use new technologies that they didn't have five ten years ago that mm. are now pretty commonplace certainly a lot of it seems to be um, around mobiles either finding stuff um making it easier to get on the property ladder and all of that right. sort of stuff so so big, a, a big, bit big big space, thing yeah, yeah. So, so um, if we look at the banking system and how much that has been disrupted in the mm -hmm. last six or seven years, um, I, I guess what uh, what you're saying, James, is that this is just, you know, the property sector is just about to face what yeah, somebody I, like the banking sector or some of those other sectors have just faced. It is, it's it's going to be interrupted and, and, and well, you know, but I think disrupted. In, in the spirit of, of, uh, of having a, a lively debate on this, I would fundamentally disagree with what Paul's saying here, which is it's not about disruption. Uh, right. Disruption is coming along the line, but... Actually, we're in the process at the minute of innovating. Um, Paul, you mentioned some figures there about investment. Um, we're actually far higher than that. I mean, we're talking about, you know, last year alone was 12.5 billion on some of the statisticians that we've got. Mm -hmm. Is that globally um, or? Globally. Yeah, so that, global. the ones I mentioned were in the US, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. I love stats though, because you can argue about them all the time. Everybody you can, like, I mean, yeah. well, Everybody has a different one. But I think the point is that, that it is attracting investors in, in, in a big way. Oh yeah, I mean, we're mm. talking, you know, year on year, 100% mm. plus uh, growth, mm. but actually we're, we're not talking about the true facts here. I mean, if you're looking at two interesting degrees here around statistics you've got cb insights quoting nine and a half billion globally you've got venture scanner quoting 12 and a half billion you know there, there's fundamental discrepancies in the uh, in the statistical data but the point is it's showing say, trend who cares it's a lot yeah who cares yeah it's a lot but no, it does, no i think we, we should care because if we're talking about investing in a sector i think we've got to understand that the benchmarks which we're actually looking at yeah are fundamentally flawed at the minute and i think mm. Um, if you look at the stats that we're, we're, we're quoting here, 70% of those are actually from America. Yeah. And they're only tracking 1,600 prop tech companies around the world. You know, 
actual estimations we're looking at about four and a half thousand. Mm. So, you know, the numbers at the minute are not good grounds for investors making investment decisions on this space. And equally, what I would say is that if we're looking at the categorization of prop tech and where investors are putting their money or what they should be looking at, I think there's really five or six categories of prop tech where you've got to be looking at, which is buy sell yeah rent or lease because obviously we're talking about commercial here as well so buy sell rent or lease move manage and build and really they're the six areas okay well that makes much more sense to me about what prop tech is mm-hmm. it, it's helping you through those you know particular actions or, or transactions isn't it yeah absolutely and i think but this is where the distinction's got to be which is yeah. we're not talking about disruptive forces at the minute we're talking about that. innovative forces and a lot of the investment happening is around helping the property industry and the suppliers and the software providers etc innovate existing problems that they have get better fundamental get better at what they do absolutely totally yeah. and the so disruptive forces will come i mean the ais and the blockchains and all these sure. advanced things will come along but not but what you're saying is well can you get on with just being better at what you do at the moment chaps and the disruption will come later but can we actually get into the 21st century and 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 really look at this sector and and, and make it better yeah definitely because i mean you know it's fundamentally inefficient and that's not about Mm. whether we all here are going to be buying and renting properties this is about everything that the industry does it is fundamentally flawed in every single way so we can make better businesses even in a slightly dampening market by just improving and efficiencies that I mean, uh, I mean, any of us that have bought a house, it's just the most horrendous. I mean, it's worse than getting divorced or having a death in the family, in my opinion, which I know is being very flippant, but, but oh, God, it's painful. The whole thing from start to finish which is bit, painful. Which bit do you find painful? All of it. <laughs> All of it. I mean, even, you know, even dealing with estate agents, if you do that, even online, is is horrible. Well, we did, I mean, we did Negotiating price, with, um, getting a survey done, getting a mortgage. I mean, every single element is dreadful. Yeah, HSBC came out with some research recently, which said that uh, 75, 75% of people find the pain points in home buying in particular being about dealing with people. Nothing about the actual transaction. It was just dealing with people. Which is a fundamental issue when it comes to disruption, isn't it? You remove people from it and that's when you fix a pain point in that sort of area. I think the technologies that you mentioned are absolutely fundamentally rocking and disrupting prop tech, all of those sorts of um, industries and that sort of stuff. And I I would disagree and say that they are here and that sort of thing because the five that I wrote about for Forbes are very much on the disruptive sort of element and that sort of thing. But but, I I think that's what's But isn't the point... um, Yeah, but isn't the point that actually disruption is probably a bit of a stupid term actually a bit fashionable but 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 what it means is you fundamentally have to look at what you're doing you know and you can't tweak it around the edges yeah uh, uh, even if it's you're in that business you know you need to really look at it holistically yeah. and and make some big 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 decisions because if you don't somebody else is going to come and do it yeah. and, and will take take over you know your market absolutely when i was writing the book the first thing i wanted to do was get all the information about like what people think the word disruption actually means and that mm. sort of stuff but you can boil it down into two things and it's about speed and it's about totality and all of these things point to that they're absolutely going for the jugular why because people hate who they already have to deal with and that's the mm. problem they have to deal with these people so it's not like you've got another option now these guys are coming in that's when the disruptive potential absolutely So, so give us in. some example of the, the ones that you've written about. So um, I wrote them down because I went back because it was a quite a while ago. But um, Seeable, they're working on the ARVR sort of spec where they're doing about visualisation, which again can fundamentally disrupt um, a, a massive market if you don't have to go and see a property and that sort of stuff, but you've got a decent enough um, virtualization of it or visualisation. Then the argument is you don't need people, you don't need offices and that sort of stuff. You can just literally work online, buy a house. And then you've obviously, once you've seen about five or six, you can save 
save that amount of time and do it. Isn't there a ridiculous um, statistic that that people spend less time going and looking around a house, which is probably the biggest thing they'll ever buy, than they do when they look when they buy a car? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Probably though, that seems about right. Yeah. It? yeah, it's that sort of idiom, with it? Mm. No, but, but um, I think, if I may, on that point, mm. I think it's quite important because yes, you're right in the ones they don't want to live in, and I think. The one thing you can say about house buying in particular is that you know the house you want to buy. And this is the point of why, you know, why companies like Seable actually will do relatively well in the future if the adoption comes, which yeah. is if you're on average seeing 16 to 20 houses before you buy the right one for you, yeah. that's a lot of waste of time. There's a lot of efficiency gains for the agent as well as for the actual buyer, which is to say, well, rule out the ones you don't want to see. Mm. and ruling the ones you really do and yeah, actually then you're seeing two or three viewings each time so. yeah because uh, the point of ar and vr is not that you won't go and see the house you eventually buy it, it, it's a good way of cutting out the yeah. ones that you definitely don't want <laughs> so, but also you don't waste the time of the um agent yeah. either so yeah. it saves for both people that's what's a sure. great thing foxton's um in the uk are using vr headsets now more than ever and i think they saved i think it was 40 grand i'd have to look that up but i think it was about 40 grand um Per, per sort of like uh, property uh, based on yeah, yeah all of the things they went really far down the line and sort of like added every zero but I think they they equated mm. it to around about mm. that and you kind of go mm, okay but yeah interesting and, numbers. and James what's what's some of the other exciting things that you're seeing at the moment in prop tech well again I mean you can break it down I mean I think the important thing here is what what Paul's given you there is an example of an exogenous technology and I would mm. argue the fact that I think where Foxons have benefited from this is actually in the new build sector because the cost benefit analysis comes yeah. in. Um, at the minute, you're not seeing that adoption more widely amongst the 19,000 branches of estate agents around the UK, simply because it's too cost inefficient for them. Yeah, and they don't. And like they don't have the scale. This disintermediation in, of of them and seeing viewings, which is arguably what they see as valuable for for their yeah. jobs, is not being generally uptake. But so that for me is an example of an of an exogenous technology, and all the exciting buzzwords are coming in, and the sort of the futuristic side of mm. you know the artificial intelligence, which is impacting property management and viewings and all this sort of stuff. Um, so for me, the really interesting stuff is the futuristic outlook and using the data that these buildings and um, cities and homes that we are producing are, are allowing us to uh, enable us to become more informed about what our, our cities and buildings and homes are, are doing. But for now, there are some fundamentally boring technologies in the endogenous phase, which is this sort of next two to five years where estate agents won't necessarily be taking on AR and VR solutions because it's something they don't understand and they don't get, but they will be taking on software solutions which will make their businesses run better. And I'm sorry to say, but you know, if we want to talk about, you know, wonderful headlines and disruptive technologies, that's not what we're gonna have for the next two to five years because they're not ready as businesses for that. Hmm. They've got too much personnel to have to deal with and manage to operate. But isn't this that stuff? the point that Paul's making? Is that because they're not, they're going to adopt it slowly, uh, or decide that they're not going to adopt it and bury their head in the sand? Somebody will come over and just take it over. So, you know, that's yeah. I mean, the, big, the biggest risk you know, when them is, people, is people are, like right move or Zoopla. Yeah, when people are slow, you know, that's what's happened. Yeah, but you, even, I mean, even, that, even that's challenging. So, for yeah. example, if you look at the. The, the business case for Rightmove and Zoopla, who arguably are in the best position to completely run over the yeah, estate agents that we have today. Rightmove are not going to do that because they're on a 78% net profit margin of their classified advertising and it all comes from agents. The moment they disintermediate agents and take away that from mm. them, Rightmove lose their business model. They're screwed. Yeah, Zoopla, on the other side, actually got a slightly different thing because four or five years ago, they made a very distinct decision to say, well, actually, hang on, we've got a big risk here. And On The Market came on, which is another sort of portal business, which essentially ruled Zoopla out for a period of time. 
And they went back, questioned their business model and said, actually, we need to diversify across the value chain of the property market. And so, well, actually, hang on a second. Let's not be over biased on classifiers. Let's become a massive data company. Let's become, and they bought U-Switch and all of these other exciting companies, which basically everybody that moves a home needs to look at their mortgages and they need to look at their utility providers. They need to look at all of these sorts of things. And so now they're actually, their risk profile is about 20 to 25% on classified ads. So they are in a better position but you've only got to look at the U.S. market to say, well, there is a, um, a Zillow is a, is a, um, a classif, um, classic sort of example of a Zoopla. And they've tried it. They've just started now to operate, to disintermediate the brokers that are coming into their market. Their share price has absolutely tanked off the back of it mm-hmm. because it's a massive risk to take. So I would argue, yes, people can come in and rule the agents out. But that is a tremendously big risk for somebody in the property market to do it. Now, Mm. if you're looking at people who could do it as organizations that can do it, I would argue there are, um, and this is classical digital transformation speak here, there are competitors which are not currently in the real estate industry, which actually cause more risk to the estate agents today. Banks, Amazon, Amazon probably. <laughs> well, Amazon are there, I mean, they, they actually, they're more of a risk for Google. But, sure. um, you know, what, uh, for example, we were in Argentina recently um, with a big global bank looking at their own digital transformation practices. Why? Because they recognize, they look after the mortgage side of the home buying process, but they are so ideally placed to take advantage of wrapping their arms around their clients yeah. around home buying that they are, arguably more of a risk to estate yeah, agents yeah, exactly. than the right moves and duplers who actually Already their primary model. It, yeah. So I would I would say those it's it's a long way off. We've had some um, interesting guests on the show who've been looking at the sort of building side. I don't know if you were presenting on that um, on that show, Paul. Mm. But but a guy who who's saying, you know, building a house is just such a nightmare because you've got to organise an electrician who may turn up or may not. Uh, then if he doesn't turn up, you can't do this piece of work and then you can't do that piece of work. And he was doing all that stuff online and actually scheduling all that work. It was all visible so that everybody could see what was going on, um, you know, and what, what was done and who was next and all, all that sort of thing. Um, and house building and, and construction is is particularly slow as well to take on new technology. Great, I think, uh, products, you know, new types of materials in building and all that sort of thing, but not brilliant at the tech side. Oh, definitely. I mean, but this is actually, and I'm really interested in the other four examples that Paul mm. mentioned in his Forbes article, because this is really where the construction sector has got an amazing ability to, to transform, mm. but they have a huge inertia, probably more so than the normal everyday residential or commercial real estate sectors, because they've got their productivity is fundamentally flawed. If you look at a McKinsey report which came out last year where they said that the um, construction in the house building sector has risen 1% in its productivity in the last 20 years. I mean, that is absolutely infinitesimal <laughs> compared to the likes of the health sectors and the, and the uh, um, automotive and all this sort of stuff. So they are not moving on. Why? Because their margins are so slim. So therefore, it's a tough. You've got to do it at scale. It's a tough have business to, to be in. Yeah. So I mean, there are a few very interesting use cases. So Lendlease are a very classic example where they put innovation at the very top level of the board decisions to say how do we adapt our business for the next generation coming mm. through? Because you know they they have a risk, which is if there's another downturn. And this is the other thing about construction that either their you know properties are flying off the books to international yeah. sellers, mm. and therefore they're saying, well, actually, why do we need to change what we're doing? Because actually, we're doing all right. Thank you very much. Or they're in a massive, massive problem mm. period where they're not selling anything. And then they say, well, we've got no money. It's so for all peaks and troughs in construction, totally. isn't it? Yeah. But AR and VR are a classic example, which actually all the way through the life cycle of a construction build from planning where they can actually use augmented reality to help people on site plan where pipes are going or you know, so on and so forth. There's so many examples of AR mm. through to 
you know, using it um, rather than having the old classic show home thing where they spend fortunes on building show houses, whereas actually, you know, the likes of JLL and Knight Frank and Savills, you know, they'll then go on a, a massive global tour taking their properties to Hong Kong and India, and they will transform models which cost them 60 grand to build and then 60 grand to insure and transport with them on their model. And some whereas, interior designer that rocks up to do the show home. Why, why bother? You know, bring, you know, bring in AR and VR, but for them it's a risk. It's not, it's not a tangible, touchable, yeah. we're used to this sort of thing. And, I, and I, I, I actually put some of the blame on that on some of the uh, of the board decisions that they make because mm. ultimately and to be you know frank these guys at the very top and I say guys very literally are have been used to the industry they've been in the construction industry for 20 30 years they've built their you know their business reputations their personal reputations on knowing everything there is to know about construction so when you're starting to talk about new and exciting things like AR VR offsite modular build all scared. of this sort of stuff, they get scared because it's about their personal legacy yeah. and there's you no know. incentive for them to change other than get out quickly with a golden parachute we're hearing that a lot about, you know, digital being generational and actually old people like me <clears throat> being in charge of companies and not making right decisions because actually a lot of people don't understand what's going on, mm. really. No, I agree. And, and therefore can't make an informed decision and can't possibly admit that they don't know what ARVR or AI is. Yeah. I went to a conference um, run by Matt Desmier um, a couple of weeks ago, um, Silicon Beach in London. Um, all with people under the age of 25 speaking. And it was absolutely, some of the stuff was mind-blowing. And you think like, what am I doing with my life? But the problem <laughs> with it was mm. half of the seats were empty. And the people mm. that were there were not the people that needed to be there. Mm. You know, these people who are in senior jobs and that sort of stuff, who are literally just waiting for the day. They can like walk out the door, throw the keys on the desk and be like, sayonara, I did my best, you know, and that sort of stuff. And I think you've got these legacy sort of industries and that sort of stuff that really need to be champions of it. And I always say to people, go out with a bang, <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff. I don't think, go I out think, with a whimper. Uh, yeah, not know. everybody obviously has a mindset like that, I don't think. But but if, if you've if everything you've done has succeeded so far then it is, you know, why would you make a complete turn, you know, to the left or whatever it is um, and change the business? It's pretty scary. It's scary, but you could also argue that the opportunity to make it 20 billion squillion times better is also yeah. there as well. That's a binary yeah. argument, isn't it? Yeah. But I think when you speak to um, the older generations who might be sitting on things and that sort of stuff, I would say, bring them along, you know. I agree. I You're agree. not going to die the day after you go and that sort of stuff. Maybe you could be on the board or <laughs> something. You're being you know. biased against us yeah, old the, people again, be, There has to be an interest uh, to change. There has yeah. to be an acceptance that they have to change the business models and so on. Yeah, and I think but also people have got to start using language that other people understand. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and there is a there is a bit of, you, you know, showy-offiness uh, in using, using jargon, you know, deliberately. And we see this a lot in the finance industry where accountants will use language just so that their clients can't understand what they're talking about there is a little bit of that going on so i think i think there is a bit of a meeting in the middle and we keep because we're running out of words almost we keep stealing words for different things so a lens to a younger person oh, yeah. is something on snapchat a lens to an older person is something they'll put on their face they mean similar things <laughs> yeah. you know and that sort of stuff but we can't we gotta, you know you've got to just there's no it, shared yeah. language yeah. but this so, is so, where a board of directors needs to bring on somebody who's um you know the sort of a target audience they're having. So I'm a big advocate of having directors of innovation. You know, everybody needs a poll um, on their boards of directors because oh, they are going to... I disagree with that, James, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but they do. And and I think yeah. one of the biggest risks of all of these companies now is the legacy risk of doing nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and well, that is a problem. It's very clear that the average huge big company used to last a hundred years, and now is it ten or something? You uh, know, it's, yeah, it's it's forty uh, percent of the FTSE five hundred um, weren't on there ten years ago. Yeah, that's and that's scary. that's accelerating. Um, that came out last week, mm. so it's now fifty two. So uh, James uh, was asking you, can you just give us one more example before we have a little break of of some other sort of prop tech that you you you're quite interested in? Um, yeah, no agent. They were the interesting ones. I think that originally got me um, interested in talking about prop tech, and they're all about. Um, what do you call it, automated property management and that sort of stuff, which I think is a very sexy area, especially with younger people and that sort of um, newer generation that tends to sort of come through the market in that sort of area. I think the um, generation rent um, and all of that sort of thing, I think they're going to be driving a lot of the change in this sector. You know, you ask a person, do I want a house? Yeah. Do you want the hassle that comes around with a house? No. You know, and that's where you start to see seeds. And you ask someone, do I care about Zoopla? No. You know, are they a brand of the future? Maybe, you know, who, who cares? cares? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Unless that money gets passed down, we're not going to worry about it and that sort of mm. stuff. Okay, well, we're going to have a little break because poor old John's been sitting there and um, we haven't even spoken to him yet. Sorry, so. John. <laughs> oh, it's been absolutely fascinating. <laughs> it's a world I don't know much about. No, I so. don't either. But I mean, if you yeah. think about it, I think what's really interesting is it is ripe for, for, for change, whether that's internal or, or externally. It's definitely ripe for absolutely. change. Absolutely. And right. it's painful, isn't it? Well, yeah, you'd be talking, I've just remortgaged. That oh, was, lovely. That wasn't as painful as buying a new house. Mm. I'm also going through a new build at the back of the house. So anything that could make that smoother. Better. Please In help. terms of managing all those different parts of the mm. you know, process. Yeah, bring it on. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, we're going to have a little bit break for a couple of minutes and uh, we'll be back with you later. Listen up then, uh, we never realised that we could get a hefty government payout for innovation. Thought it was just for those high-tech boys down south. Not a down-to-earth bunch like us. We did it, thanks to you lot and the really helpful guys at Breakthrough Funding. Yeah! Sorry, just slipped out. Easy money then, boss! Not at all. It's a cash reward for showing how innovative ideas can reap benefits all round. Your company could qualify for innovation cash too. Find out online now by answering just six qualifying questions at BreakthroughFunding.com. Yeah! So you're back with the um, Tech Talk Show. We've been talking to James Deersley, who's passionate, I would say, about prop tech and um, and quite rightly trying to make a definition of it so people actually understand what it is um, and and, uh, really start to recognise how we need some digital innovation in there. Um, John, you've been sitting there nicely um, and quietly um, and you've been putting up with builders as well. That's nice for you. Yeah, if we can remove all the cowboys... That would be a good start. <laughs> yeah, James, do something about that as well, will you? If we can get um, technology <laughs> to... Builders, mums uh, and cracks now. Yes, yeah, if we can... No, all the industry. Yeah, weed yeah. out, weed them out. Weed them out. Um, that's going to be difficult. Um, so, John, um, you uh, work, uh, or you have worked at some of the UK's best-known design consultancies and, and worked with lots and lots of different brands. Um, and... Um, a bit like James, you know, you, you've got you've got some great um, sort of corporate experience. Um, since since you've been in the business world, you feel quite strongly that commerce has got a responsibility in terms of how the future's shaped. And maybe you know we shouldn't just expect it to be governments and charities. That commerce has a role to uh, shape our future too. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I think we're all more aware than ever um, about um, global issues, so climate change, um, poverty. Um, and you know the sort of planet's life support systems uh, some of them are starting to be on high alert 
Um, you know, David Attenborough is um, obviously a, a major figurehead in, in uh, highlighting some of the issues that um, the planet um, has. Um, and yeah, I just think that it's not going to fix itself. And I think uh, commerce, uh, you know, in one respect does um, run the world. And it, and it runs it really well for for the for the benefit of us all to buy our houses and for most our, of our us. nice cars mm. and mm. to live to live comfortably um, mm. for 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 the, for the for those that are uh, are well off. Um, so I do, yeah, I do think there's you know there is a responsibility for for commerce should, to take a more active role in actually um, addressing or supporting. So, so when it, you know, sort of in Victorian times and, and, and particularly in the in the sort of first industrial revolution, and you might argue we're going through a huge revolution at the moment as well, um, that there were, not entirely, but there were some quite paternalistic companies, you know, like Cadbury's and people like that, who would take their role quite seriously and, and would supply housing and all sorts of other benefits to their workers. Um, and if you look, if you think about it now, that was quite enlightened, wasn't it? I know everybody didn't do that, but, but are you suggesting that, that, that companies should maybe take, uh, you know, a, a, a better, a more paternalistic role with their, with their staff, also the effect they have on the community and also the effect they have on the wider environment? Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's a number of issues there. I mean, if you're looking internally, so looking at staff, um, yeah, there's there's more and more um, activity around looking after staff. So, um, you know, well-being is a is a word that's being used a lot at the moment, and I think a lot of, well, especially in the corporate world, um, well-being programs are being initiated left, right, and centre. Um, so, you know, and and. The, the well-being programs, the, the you know the the data that's coming back off those is higher productivity, you know, higher retention of staff, um, which obviously you know equals um, you know profit, more profitability. So 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 if we take somebody like Ashley, whatever his name is, who runs that sports thing, and it is also do not look at me, the manager <laughs> of, uh, of uh, sorry, sports owns Newcastle, Mike, United, oh, Mike Ashley. Mike Ashley. Um, you know, um, obviously, I'm going to have to say allegedly a lot and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, um, you know, allegedly, he's an incredibly bad employer um, because he, he doesn't pay the living wage and, you know, some of the working conditions, uh, as the media have reported it, I don't know if it's true, you know, not very good. But actually, that's just a pretty dumb commercial decision because you're going to have more turnover of staff. You know, people are going to be off sick more. And if you really looked at it across the year or across a period, actually, it probably doesn't make um, financial sense to act like that, you would suggest. Oh, no, absolutely not. So and I just think it's it's just a case of um, just it's the awareness. I mean, people are just not aware enough of, of actually, you know, of, of the figures and, and, and how, you know, looking after your staff, you know, they're your number one. Makes they're good the, they're your sense. most valuable asset. Mm. Within any within any business is the is the people that are helping to run that business. So it is it is an awareness issue primarily. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the other thing is, um, I, I mean, I I totally agree with you, and I think there's lots of figures to suggest that looking after your staff is pretty smart, uh, one way or another. Um, there's there's not mu as much talked about the corporate responsibility of of paying your invoices on time, or you know, mm. looking after people that you deal with in terms of supplies and things like that. And I hear a lot of companies waffling on about how amazing they are at environmental this and that and, you know, anti-slavery and da-da-da-da-da. And I actually get really 
upset because the huge majority of them then think it's okay to only pay 80%, you know, or 20% of their invoices on time. And meanwhile, swathes of small businesses go out of business because they, they can't be bothered to pay them. That's just as much a, a corporate responsibility, isn't it, as, as looking after your staff? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's well, it's a whole ecosystem. You know, if you compare it to the planet, I mean, the whole corporate kind of world is an ecosystem. I think someone like, you know, the, the fall of Carillion, you know, recently is, is kind of a is an example of that. You know, there are hundreds and, and hundreds of small businesses that have been affected um, by by the loss of Carillion. So I think you know it is it is you know, it's vital that. But what needs to be said is it's not affecting small businesses. It's affecting the people that own them because they've, you know, mortgaged their house or they've used family money, and you've actually stolen that money off those people. You know, so when they say it's affected small businesses, no, it hasn't. It's affected people who've, have, you know, very, very responsibly decided to set up their own business and employ other people and, and work really hard. And you've just smashed that life. Yeah, actually. I, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, yeah. You know, and I would like to see yeah. more, more um, recognition of the fact that late payment is an extremely bad corporate behaviour, as bad as treating your staff badly, I think. Yeah, but it comes back to a culture of, um, you know, what, you know, is profit. You know, mm. How can we maximise the profitability of our business? And unfortunately, activities like lay payments are part of that strategy. So it's a you know it's a it's about kind of changing the culture of how how businesses operate. And and you know and just going back to the planet uh, and our responsibility there, it, it's really about people before profit, which is yeah. another you know and and the word purpose has been thrown around um, a huge amount. Um, so as well as well well being. So, you know, the purpose, you know, it's, and so, it is. So what does profit, you know, for purpose mean um, to you uh, and the things that you've seen? Um, it, it's basically, it, it's about having a strategy that, that it has equal um, balance between profit and and people and environment. So, and, it, and it's, it's a complicated issue, but it, it's about looking at your business and looking at how it's affecting the, the world around it, the community around it, and, and making sure it's having a positive effect. Who are the companies that are getting it right at the moment? Um, There's one called Breakthrough Funding that's doing really well. Oh, that? Sue, tell me about that. <laughs> I mean, Paul Pullman, Paul Pullman um, is a huge ambassador mm-hmm. for, for, for sustainability. So, I mean, you know, they haven't got everything right. Um, Unilever, so Unilever, a global company, own loads of brands that, that we buy from um, every day. Um, he's a huge ambassador for, for sustainability um, and making sure that every part of their business is having the least effect uh, on people and, and the planet. Or least, least detrimental effect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and ultimately you, you kind of want to leave a, a positive effect mm. you know, on, on, the, on, on the people and the world around you. So they're, they're, doing, they're huge ambassadors. They're doing it. They've got a lot more work to do. You know, there are stories emerging every day. You know, one of the major issues um, for larger corp- com- companies now is is the supply chain. You know, we we now supplying globally. You know, that that's that's kind of where you get modern mm-hmm. slavery. Um, so you know, the supply chain becomes a challenge. Um, um, but that again would just come back to profit. Mm. It's like, well, actually, we're trying to maximise profit for our shareholders. In doing that, you're actually setting a strategy that will. Uh, reduce, um, you know, the, the the cost that you give to some of your suppliers. So your growers, say your you know coffee grower, you know, you're you're kind of reducing the cost that you. So, but it's much it's much much harder, isn't it? If you're a huge company and you've got, you know, 
thousands of shareholders and all of that gets reported about whether your shares you know go up or down or whether they're getting dividends every year if you own a small business and it's yours then you've got much more opportunity haven't you to to, to say what goes because you don't have to answer mm. to all those people so somebody like unilever is in a is to be fair in a, in, a, in a difficult position aren't they because they're trying to play both of those games at once yeah i mean it, yeah i mean it is it is a challenge for for big business to be that transparent i mean obviously social media is having a massive effect on on the ability for uh, individuals to to have conversations directly with with larger companies and that is that is forcing you know companies to be more transparent about about the way they operate is it affecting um, change though do you think it will mm-hmm. we're just we're just starting on the on the re- on the sort of the revolution of 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 changing the way businesses think um because the planet is going to is going to expire and it will probably ex- it, you know, according to a lot of scientists, it, this is the, a happy old show. The, I was going to say, well, we've taken a we've taken a yeah. turn. Sorry, sorry, I don't mean it's all not it's not all doom and gloom. No, no, um, I think we do have to give a number. It's not fifty years, though, is it? No, but there are there are figures that in the next sixty years the soil will not be fertile enough yeah. to grow. So, and that's one of the life um, support systems for the planet, and that's all to do with industrialized farming. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, okay. Well, that's one thing we need to tackle, and I think in the UK there's only two percent of all farmland is is grown organically mm-hmm. which is basically to support mm-hmm. so that you know that we're we're you know it, we're at the start of that uh, revolution mm-hmm. uh, james have you have you got any thoughts on that and and um, and um you know in terms of the property area as well you know that there must be a f- sort of benefits of, of acting in a really you know responsible way yeah, sure. I mean, and actually, I was just going to call up one point about your um, message there about social media. I found it fascinating that in the last month, you then got Weatherspoons who decided that actually their accountability um, comes back to just deleting every single social media account they've got anywhere because they're basically <laughs> fed up of their clients complaining. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this corporate responsibility of, of disclosure and accountability. And then they just say, well, actually, no, we're just going to delete everything, which for me is a fundamentally wrong principle of everything around marketing. Um, but no, I mean, from a technology side, actually, the interesting thing about this whole technological revolution is um, uh, in the property side, yeah, sustainability uh, is very much at the forefront of all the property market pushing forward mm. because there's some frightening statistic about the biggest contributor of greenhouse gases are our buildings. Apart from cows, obviously. Well, apart from cows, yeah. <laughs> Don't talk about cows and buildings yeah, in the it's, same it's vein. Buildings. It's not cars, it is, it's, buildings. it's buildings, yeah. Buildings. And, and so there's a big push and, and a lot of the... But um, to be fair, that the, the you know legislation and, and the sector, new builds are incredibly yeah. efficient. It, it's old buildings that are, that are a struggle, isn't it? Yeah, and that's, and that's one of the biggest challenges at uh, the technological level is the retrofitting of yeah. our buildings and cities. Well, and you know, that's why we're seeing a big push at the minute around sensor technology. So sensor technology is at the forefront of this building revolution to retrofit buildings to say this is how inefficient you are mm. but then you've got problems like do you have the money to fix yourself question mark well, you know, uh, that's, how expensive, that's the trouble how yeah. expensive is it well yeah. to, to give you a practical application mm. of that so um, MIPIM who is the stalwart of the property industry have a startup competition every year as a judge this year we were asked to look at all the latest prop tech initiatives coming out one of the most exciting ones was exactly this a sustainable building um, company which is looking at um, glass and the ability for buildings to not necessarily have to have blinds, but the moment the sun comes out is have an automatic tinting of glass, 
which yeah, is very like interesting. And exactly. Mm. Sunglasses for buildings. Yeah, exactly. The, the point is, it not only was it sunglasses for buildings, but it was also a way of uh, buildings become energy positive because it would use the sunlight to convert into energy and therefore become energy positive. The problem? 35% more expensive per pane of glass. Yeah, so yeah. the retrofitting aspect, which is why they didn't win. I mean, this is all IP technology, wonderfully brilliant but no one's going to do it. Retrofitting. Yes, it's got to be commercial. You can't just say to a building supplier, I'll tell you what, just replace every single pane of glass with this stuff and it'll cost you 35% more than a new pane of glass. They're going to turn around and say, well, it ain't break, don't fix it. Yeah, that's so, right. Um, Paul, just a quick comment <laughs> on weather spoons. So mortifyingly <laughs> tragic, but okay, yeah, go on. <laughs> quick comment on weather spoons. Uh, my thoughts on weather spoons are on the blog I wrote for Forbes and that's all I'm allowed to say legally. <laughs> okay. Um, the thing for me though, just, just taking up um, um, Jase's point, is is that people do whinge a lot on social media because they're cowardly and, yeah. and you can be anonymous. Uh, so you're much more likely to whinge than to say something personally to somebody. At one hand, you want to be transparent so people can, you know, have their say. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it can actually end up being a department on its own where you have to answer all this stuff and people think it's jolly good fun as well. Yeah. And not necessarily mean it. So so it is a hard thing to handle. Yeah, so I'm in two minds about it. So I've helped uh, companies set up listening posts and that sort of stuff. And the first thing you always say is like, I will only set this up if it has some modicum of change ability. If I have the ability to go out and like go, there's your £25 voucher or shut that shop down for a day and that sort of stuff, like what? It, what, what, if you're not doing anything with it, you're just paying to get bad news. You yeah. know? So you've got to do something for it. And a great example, um, I was um, uh, farting around on Twitter, I believe is the phrase. And um, I saw a tweet from the CEO of Pret. And he said, how can I get, very simple question, how can I get you guys to use recyclable cups? And um, he goes, having a real problem, dot, dot, dot. And he basically got back to every single tweet and he, by the end of it, and he said, right, thanks for this. Obviously, you know, my time's not endless, but in a kind of nice way. Um, and he goes, give me 24 hours and I'll give you an answer. And so he went away, crunched the numbers, it's and then really he put out a blog post on social media. It. Stunning. But yeah. more than that, it shows that a business that is A, listening, B, able to change quite quickly, and C, willing to change. And I think that last one's the biggest one. Most and, people and can change. Engage. And yeah. engage, you know. Yeah. And they um, came out with a, um, what was it, a cup? Uh, no, um, water fountains in stores coming in by 2019, I think. And um, they're going to sell um, recyclable plastic bottles and they're going to phase out paper cups and all of that sort of stuff. Mm. So pre- pretty sort of like sweeping sort of stuff. So it's really, um, really yeah. understanding how but, to but use it. Yeah. If, if I may say the biggest point on that, which is the most important point, which most people miss, is it came from the CEO. Yeah, yeah. And that is where most companies get it wrong, which is they've got, and especially around the FTSE 100s, how many FTSE 100 people are actually using social media to exactly that point, Paul? Yeah. Which is they don't, because they don't understand it and they're fearful of it. What they've got to do is understand that your three points there about willing to listen, understanding and so on and so mm. forth is fundamentally important at a board level. And if they're going to do it right and they do it properly, then you can instigate and amazing change. And to be honest, change. how cheap is that when you consider maybe putting ads in a something or other to, to you know, to ask that question or, yeah, research or saying panel, we're yeah. doing the right thing? And, you know, what a great way of using social media. Mm. That's, that's how and they're not even it. like super well followed. So no. your argument, you might get a better answer with a, a bigger thing, but he was he says, look, small and quick, let's do it. Yeah, you know. small and quick, that's me. So um, um, thank you so much. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Um, thank you so much to James Dearsley of uh, TLA PropTech. Um, you can get in touch with James or see what James is up to by going to jamesdearsley.co.uk and all that information will be on our website. And John, thank you very much. 
Thinking Loud and Clear, TLC.works. We should all be doing more of that, shouldn't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, thank you very much for joining me. And uh, you've been listening to The Tech Talk Show. And, um, well, I've been joined by my lovely presenter, Paul Armstrong. If you want to find out some of the things he's been talking about, you should read Disruptive Technologies. You're the author of it, aren't you? Yeah, available on Amazon and all good bookstores. <laughs> Amazon and all good bookstores. Um, and if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts, um, you can go to our website, which is techtalkshow.co.uk, or you can listen on iTunes or the podcast app or Podbean or loads of other places. Um, and if you'd like to suggest any amazing people who are doing innovative things in the sector, please tweet us on at techtalkshowuk. And um, we'd be glad to hear from you or any other comments you might have, particularly about Paul, <laughs> not me. Um, so have a good week and uh, we'll, you'll, we'll join you next week. Mm-hmm.